Well, hello, pitches. Welcome back to Pitch Slapped. My name's Kaylee Hillier. Now, last week, I was joined by Beyond Bechloe as we started watching the first scenes of Barden University and Becca Mitchell. And we talked for so long that I had to split the episode into two. So this week we get the second half of my chat with Beyond Bechloe as we watch the first scenes and really just get into it. And this part of the chat is where we're going to be seeing Becca arriving at her dorm room, meeting Kimmy Jin, and of course Becca's dad shows up, which opens up a whole box of conversation. I've also got some of your responses as well. I put out on social media asking what your opinion was of Becca's dad making her go to college and whether it was right or wrong and kind of getting your opinions. And so I've got some of those to read out as well. I think it's so interesting. Everybody's different points of view. Of course, we've got some fan fiction highlights to go through as well this week, including a tennis AU. But of course, before we get all there, let's delve into our actor news. Now, over the past week, there's been quite a few things happening out there in the pitch perfect sphere. Brittany Snow celebrated her birthday. Fantastic. How did you celebrate? That is the question. I watched Hooking Up because I needed to have a Brittany Snow moment and... I have absolutely been loving all online, all of the birthday messages that people have been creating, the gifts and the images. So like there's so much out there. It's been a real joy. And it's one of the things I love, like with these big birthdays in the fandom is that you get to see everybody celebrating it in their own little way. Elsewhere in Actor News, Kelly Jackal has recently had an interview which was recently done with Marzui Milano, I think I said that right, which is an Italian shopping website and in the interview she talks a little bit about what she's currently doing and the work she's doing towards her up-and-coming solo album. Exciting stuff. Esther Dean has released a new single over the past week, it's called Tip Me. There's a link on her Instagram to the single and it's also available for download and streaming on most sites. And it has been announced that Anna Kendrick will be attending the Kids' Choice Awards this year. The ceremony takes place on Saturday the 13th of March and it starts at 7.30 ET time. Big fingers crossed that she wins the award. Come on people, there's only a few days left to vote. And finally, Hayley Steinfeld has just joined Frankie's Bikinis to release her own swimwear line. So if you want to check it out, they have loads of pictures up. Hayley's put loads of pictures up on her Instagram as well. And you can find out all about that from their website. Now, without further ado, let's delve into the second part of Me and Beyond the Chloe's discussion about Becca going to Barden. So as you know, me and Ellen, aka Beyond the Chloe, had so much to say that this is the second part of our chat, delving into Becca arriving in her dorm room, meeting Kimmy Jin. I mean, there's so much to say about this whole section, which is only like four minutes long. And 
one that we like we didn't really scratch on the first half which we're going to start with now is not only do we meet becca for the first time but we also meet jesse swanson and when jesse pulls up and does the air guitar i don't think i've ever cringed harder in my life because i can't imagine just pulling up next to a random person and i don't know if he's trying to flirt or if he's just trying to be funny i don't know but the whole time that was happening when i watched this for the first time i just went oh my god i can't watch this because that is embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) made me think though when we were talking earlier about certain pieces of music or whatever being used to denote the character as we had Aubrey with I saw the sign Becca with her mashup and then this goofy moment with Jesse and I thought you know what that sums him up so well well yeah like definitely what they try and portray him to be at this moment in time is definitely like this goofy fun I guess kind of dude who's just sort of like trying to I guess get a reaction out of her. I, I don't really know. It, se- it seems like he's trying to get a reaction out of her. I really don't understand what he's doing at that moment in time because it is so far from anything that I would ever do. But you know what yeah, it reminds um, me of though. Uh, it reminds me of people that I've met who are quite outgoing, and when they see someone who's maybe got, <laughs> I want to say the resting bitch face because I've had this issue. Yeah. Before. And they'll come up to you and they'll do something deliberately to try and make you smile. Yeah. Like, it was almost like he saw her and was like, I'm just going to, like, I'm going to do something. Becca just gives him nothing the whole time. But it was just like, he's fine in the scene, but it was like one of those annoying things that people do when they want to invoke a reaction and they're not afraid to do it. They're not afraid to kind of be goofy and and all that type of thing. And it was just like, oh one of those people <laughs> yeah whereas i would die on the spot and yeah I, I don't think there'd be any coming back from that from me <laughs> i think uh she obviously gives him a bit of a mm-hmm, yeah like she's not super interested at that moment in time she's kind of like oh this is really awkward like i'm not i, d- I don't really know what to do here so she sort of just you know turns away after his after his car just sort of zooms off again I'd like to point out she hasn't listened to any of the instructions that the lady was trying to give her about where Baker Hall is. So I I don't even know how she found it after that. I don't know if she was wandering around for two hours going, where the hell is this hall that I'm supposed to be going to? But (laughs) um, yeah. She means somebody's uh, coming with her baggage. Like I just. No, I don't know whether she made 16 trips back out to that car to get everything out of the boot or whatever, or whether the whether the cab driver just left it all there on the side and she had to just like try and run back and get it before somebody took it all. I don't know. We don't see anybody following her, so I have no idea where that <laughs> luggage went. <laughs> I have to assume it all got stolen. <laughs> I, I also like the university student who's got so many stuffed teddy bears and some of them are so giant and they all just go tumbling off this thing and i just can't imagine bringing that many stuffed animals you'd have to have a single room you could not have a roommate and have that many toys in your room can i just say with that as well she is so worried when they fall over like the genuine concern is like they fall on the grass i'm like it's the grass yeah (laughs) don't worry (laughs) Honestly, at that moment in time, too, it kind of seems like Beck is trying not to smile. 
at that. Like she found it just that little bit funny. And then she sort of just like rolls her mouth and just like, just keeps walking like, oh, just keep going, just keep going. I probably would have laughed. If the girl was genuinely upset, I maybe would have stopped laughing. Uh, but <laughs> I think I think if I saw them all fall over, I probably would have laughed. It's a funny moment, I think, just like it was just one of those like really quick blink and you'll miss it kind of moments, but it's still kind of funny to have that just enormous amount of of stuffed teddy bears and all that kind of stuff bringing with you. And I think one of the dudes that's around that area yells out something like you know oh is this a carnival or something because they look like the toys you'd win like if you won like top prize at like throwing darts at balloons or something like that you know it was so ridiculous that it was almost like this is exactly why becca doesn't want to be here like she's surrounded by people that she's just like why yeah People she does not relate to in any way, shape, or form. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's not her bag. She's she's not designed to be here in her eyes anyway. Obviously, we see later down the track, like in PP2, that she's obviously gotten she's gotten through it. She's made it to her final year and everything. So, obviously, she survived. It kind of been as bad as she thought it was going to be. At least not that we know of. Uh, she might have struggled really hard to get there. I don't know. <laughs> But um, yeah, she's made it, she made it to the end there. But at this point in time, she's like, no way, like get me out of here. I'd rather tear my own hair out at this point than stay here another minute. Like I just want to go. Uh, of my luggage is already packed. Maybe I can go get back in the cab and go all the way to LA from here. Who knows? I think that's an interesting point though with this beginning scene and the fact that, you know, the only reason she's there is because her dad has made her come. And yeah. I think that's just quite interesting when you then look at her in Pitch Perfect too, because I think a big difference is in this scene, she's having to do what somebody else wants her to do. And it's not her thing at all. And she's just kind of going along with it. Whereas I think a big difference is the fact that she kind of gets her wife for being there through the Bellas and then it becomes her thing. But at this moment, like, yeah. she's not attached to it at all. You know, it's not even her thing to do. Like, somebody else has pushed her to do it. So, like, it's almost like she's living her dad's dream for her rather than her dream. And so, of course, she's not going to get anything out of it. She's got no reason or, like, why of being there for herself. Yeah, I agree. She's got zero reason to stay at the moment except for the fact that if she doesn't, we assume her dad is not going to pay or help her when she goes to LA and we don't know how much money she's got. We don't know if she's had like a, a part-time job prior to coming here. So we don't know if she's saved any money. She may not have very much at all. And her, she may have been living off of the promise that her dad's going to help her move there. But then he sort of like changed his mind, made her go to university instead. We, we don't know any of that. We have no idea sort of like what, what her financial situation is herself. Obviously, She's very lucky in that she has the opportunity to go to university for free. That's obviously not something most people get. And a lot of people would sort of kill for that opportunity. They do sort of portray her as a, as a little bit ungrateful. If you look at, um, look at it through, I guess, um, her dad's eyes and maybe through the eyes of other people who don't have that opportunity. But in her eyes, she's like, I don't want to go here. Like I may have that opportunity, but this is not what I want. So why would I take this opportunity? And we don't know if potentially she's taking that opportunity away from somebody else either by staying there. And she may be of the opinion that, well, I don't want to be here. So maybe you should be giving that opportunity to someone else. We have no idea sort of like how that works or 
I can't imagine that every professor who has a child like gets their child to go there for free. I don't really know how that works or if he's just managed to score her some sort of scholarship for something. I mean, I have no idea how that works, but, you know, there they could be numerous scenarios here where she has chosen or she said she doesn't want to be there and, and, and one of those might be that, you know, she doesn't want to waste this whole free university opportunity on, on something that, you know, she knows she's not going to use later. Because again, we don't know what she's studying either. It, you know, it could be, it could just be English, and she may go, oh, "Well, I don't want that." Because obviously, what I want to do is music. Again, this is all very, very open to interpretation. Again, because we don't have all the facts of what's happened prior to what the real deal is with her father, like you know, um, and and sort of how how she's getting to go to university for free. I don't, I don't know, but. Again, this, this really opens it up for fixed and stuff like that where we could just do whatever the hell we wanted at this point in time. And I sort of love that aspect of PP1 in general. It's, it's just, it just doesn't answer any questions. <laughs> and and, and that, so that really works well for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. There's a number of things we can bring in a little bit later, but why don't we look at the bit with Becca and her dad? Because that's, that's a big bit. We've kind of talked a bit about it already and like that whole scene, the whole dynamic between the two of them, because this explains so much, I think, about Becca and yes. the way she is at this point in time. And I love the fact that she gets into the dorm room and the first thing she does, like all her luggage is on the bed, but she's got to set up her equipment. Yeah. Like that is yeah. the first thing. Yeah, she's got boxes and bags and stuff everywhere and she she does nothing else. She hasn't put her clothes away. She hasn't changed. She, ha she probably hasn't even taken her shoes off or anything like that yet. She's just gone straight into, I have to set all this up. And uh, obviously there's that deleted scene where she tells uh, Kimmy Jin, um, don't touch my computer. Like, don't touch any of this stuff. Like, this is that, that you can obviously see that, that is her baby. She would rather you know, lose a limb compared to, you know, having anybody ruin all this stuff that she's obviously put her heart and soul into. And, you know, I'm assuming thousands of hours of blood, sweat and tears, you know, trying to learn and be better and, you know, make make music that she's happy with. And I think that's really funny that the first thing she does is just set up just all this music equipment, takes up an entire desk and it's just all, <laughs> just all DJ equipment everywhere. Yeah, and then her dad pops his head in and makes a terrible joke. A <laughs> terrible, mean, terrible joke. To be fair, I mean, the, <laughs> the deleted scene shows you how precious this is. And as somebody with equipment, and it's probably similar for you, like nobody touches yeah. your precious equipment. No. Like, it costs a lot of money. Like, And she's busy in like her little zone. And then, yeah, her dad cracks a joke. And <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a typical dad joke. It is a typical dad joke, but it's also so cringy. It's just, oh, God. And and you know what? I would be embarrassed if my dad came in and made a joke like that in front of someone who I'm not yet friends with. I'd be like, oh, my God, Dad, get out. Please get out. <laughs> like, don't ever do this again. Please forget where my dorm is. Yeah, I don't want to see you around here. We'll meet somewhere else on the other side of the, of the university if we ever need to talk. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting beginning though because it shows that like clearly he has a relationship where he does feel like he can crack jokes and they try a little bit of small well, talk doesn't really go that yeah, successfully I, but like 
he's trying. Yeah, I have a hard time. Yeah, I have a hard time trying to determine because I, I come up with different ideas about how this relationship works all the time. And it, it could be that it was so fractured and he hasn't really spoken to her in a long time that he's just trying to be normal with her, um, considering they're going to be around each other a fair bit because they're both on the same campus now. Or it, it could be that it was never, like, super bad that he's just just trying to m- maintain some sort of sense of normalcy between them, even if they haven't been super close. But I sort of flip-flop between the two, and it, it also could just be that he's kind of ignorant of how she feels as well at the same time, or he doesn't realise how much it means to her and so sort of doesn't put too much into the fact that she's actually genuinely really upset about having to be here. Like, I don't know, I sort of flip-flop between all of those um, those sort of ideas because it really could be any of them. Um, without sort of like knowing the full backstory, it's sort of, it's really up to you to determine where that goes. I know like personally with my own dad, I think my dad would be totally ignorant of how I feel. It, like if I was genuinely upset about something like that. I, I feel like I could see that here, but I could also see that maybe it never really was super bad. He may have only been gone for like, you know, a year or two. He could have had like a really fast relationship with this other woman and they've gotten married pretty quickly or, you know, or maybe they haven't even been married for that long. Um, so we have no idea like how that sort of goes. But yeah, with, with in terms of he's obviously just choosing to make the joke because it's in his eyes, it's supposed to be like a happy happy day you know it's first day of university you should be so happy and you know this is memories you know as he says later in the in the movie you know put yourself out there you got to create some memories this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity it's an interesting way to sort of if you really delve into it it could be so many different things between them all we know is at this point in time that he's trying to be like ah, you know, it's it's fine. You know, you get to be here for free and everything should be good and you should just be grateful. And she's like, well, you clearly do not understand how much I don't want to be here and how important going to LA and working is for me. So they're just at very different ends of the university spectrum and, and what it means to them. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting just for the fact that there's so many things going on that add layers to this complex situation. And like you said, you could read into that so many different ways, but if you just break it down, you've got the dad and the fact that he's no longer, you know, this is from a broken family. She's obviously got an issue with Sheila. And yes, (laughs) you know, that whole thing. And then the fact that she's been dragged here when she doesn't want to be here and he doesn't yeah. respect her passions and what she's trying to do with her yeah. life. So you've got all this layered on top of each other that all come out in this very short conversation. And so like you're trying to pick out little bits of like, is it a completely broken down relationship because of all this, you know, the family drama? Or is it, you know, this dad who it clearly loves his daughter, but he's kind of focused on you've got to do this with your life because you can't do this because that makes no sense. Like, be sensible. Like, yeah. And kind of brushing yeah. aside the passion side, which as a creative person really hurts. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He clearly doesn't understand or he doesn't understand, but at the same time, it's also makes it kind of clear that 
maybe too focused on the academic side of life rather than the creative side of life. So for him, making a job or a career out of something creative, he just can't fathom that because it just doesn't seem like it's an actual possibility, despite the fact that obviously creativity seeps into so many jobs. Like we've got movies, we've got music, we've got TV shows, we've got writing, we've got people who do art, like artists, like painting and, and drawing and, um, you know, uh, they're just like designers in general. Like there's just so many creative jobs out there and creativity seeps into everything like a business has to have a logo that has to be designed by someone so people have creative jobs and that is normal like that is so normal in this day and age but to him he just doesn't see that whether it's something he doesn't see as a possibility for her because he's like well there's so many people that could do what you're doing and maybe you're not as great as you think you are don't know whether he's trying to keep like some sense of realism in her or whether he maybe he's just blind to what her potential might be in that particular area, I don't know. It's it's interesting, though, just how, how much this tiny little scene sort of opens up the possibilities for what you could headcanon for their relationship itself and how it goes in the future. Um, because even after PP1, we don't really hear about him again after this movie. So we know that they sort of have like a, a, a semi-better relationship towards the end. So it looks like she's going to try and reconcile with him. And he doesn't seem like he's that bad of a guy, um, like they try and portray him as like, he does kind of understand, um, but he did want her to see and, oh, look, I was right. You did enjoy university. But at the end, we don't really know how that continues either. So it could go back to being a nothing relationship where they don't really interact at all, or it could go on and they could re- resolve and, and be, you know, really friendly after that and, you know, see each other all the time or whatever. We have no idea. It could sour again. We have no idea how that goes after that either. So yeah, it's sort of, it's a great way to to lean on and just use your own creativity and, and like a choose your own adventure, <laughs> how it goes from, how it goes on from there. Yeah. <laughs> so many possibilities. That's it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, I think having him as an English professor as well kind of homes into that as even harder because he has done the academic route that worked for him. He's got a career, he's got a stable job. Like I can almost see that being projected like when I went to uni I did photography and doing a subject like that the amount of times that I would get people being like what are you going to do that for? Like there's no future there or people not really like understanding what that was useful for or a reason for doing it. And often you would kind of get into these arguments or these conversations with people trying to kind of put across the value of, of this thing that you were studying or this thing that you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think also at the same time, it can be really challenging because you don't necessarily have to go to uni to do that type of a thing. Like, yeah. The types of skills you're going to learn are going to be different than if like you see Becca's frustration because she's just like, I want to get out into the world and do it. And it's not to say that one is better than the other. Like I look back at my experience going to uni and I loved my experience and the things I learned about photography that I wouldn't have learned anywhere else. But at the same time, you don't get that in-life experience that you would have done if you had just gone and interned somewhere and so like you get these two arguments that I think for a lot of people who kind of had a similar situation that that's something that genuinely you could hook into with Becca yeah exactly and 
I only ended up going to university for one year and I was doing a double degree at the time. And I sort of like, I reached a point at the end of my first year and I went, look, while I enjoy what I'm doing, I don't think I'm actually going to end up applying this in a career in some sort. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop now because I don't want to get myself into like $40,000 debt by the end of it. I was like, you know, this is, you know, that's enough. I'll, I'll just pay off this one year and that'll be it. And I sort of just went into the workforce and was just like, yeah, I'm just going to spend some time working. I'll figure out what I really want to do. And then I'll, you know, sort of work towards that when I'm ready to do that. Mine was definitely like a more logical decision than anything. Like I did definitely enjoy what I was doing, but I just, the more I did it, the more I went on, I just went, I just don't see a practical application for this in a career for me. And I'm glad I didn't because one of the, one of the degrees um, as part of my double degree I was doing was bachelor of uh, games and interactive entertainment and then the games industry in my state or like in australia kind of really collapsed around the time i would have graduated so i'm glad i didn't because i wouldn't have really had anything to go to in australia i would have had to have moved over to a different country to to end up working sort of like in that industry so um i i I made a good decision at that time (laughs) which sort of saved me definitely from having um I guess, uh, issues later on, but, um, yeah, I think, I think in this aspect, yeah, it's, it's uh, universities, a a different experience for everyone. And, and, and sometimes you can definitely learn things without going to university, but it's always very different to what you do learn when you're in university. And I think the important thing to remember is, um, when someone's saying sort of like, oh, but what would you do that for? You can't make a career out of that. Well, clearly you can, because it's offered. Like it wouldn't be offered at university if there wasn't some sort of application for that afterwards. Like the whole point of university is to learn and to then try and apply that in a real life setting. So I think that that's sort of like the important thing to remember when someone says, oh, you know, but what are you going to do that for? Like, you know, if you did a a bachelor of photography or something like that or did whatever, like there, there obviously is jobs out there for that. And that doesn't mean to say that you only have to have one of those jobs. You could create an entirely new job. Like you you could do whatever you wanted. It's just whether or not you choose to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's uh, quite you, interesting th- with regards to what happened with Becca because I think she gets that reflection of somebody putting on what their fears or what their perception of what you should do is. And, you know, yeah. it's a concerned parent. You know, I I can partly appreciate where Dr. Mitchell's coming from. He's looking at his daughter and, you know, it's a risk to go to LA is a risk. Yeah. And he doesn't want her to fail. Yeah. Like, and the type of dream that she has, it's not an easy path to take. And so, like, I can see why he then kind of goes, no, you're going to do this because... Yeah. Then you get these skills. And clearly he enjoyed his time at college. Like he talks about the memories and all yep. this stuff. And so somebody projecting on what they deem that you should do. And I think I think that's really difficult or challenging, especially when you're younger and parents kind of project on what they believe it should be. And I think you made like an interesting point of, you know, it's you finding that path as well for yourself. Like people yeah. can project stuff on you yeah. all day long and tell you what's right and what's not right, but you're the one who's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's not like every job that ever that's ever going to exist has like already exists now. 
there's going to be new jobs created down the track. And like being like an Instagram influencer didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago. That's something that's only come up, you know, in the last couple of years. That's a job now because it's become a job now. And somebody decided to start trying to sell things or whatever on Instagram. And that became something that people could do. So you could create any job you want. And I guess the limitations is what he sees in her capability. He doesn't want her to fail, but he's sort of also assuming that she will. Yeah, I want to So he's not that, necessarily believing. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that really yeah. makes me like I appreciate his concerns. Like I I've heard them before. And but the thing that gets yeah. me is his complete disregard for her craft or her dream. Like the thing yeah. she clearly loves yeah. what she's doing. She's working on mixes. He doesn't he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Number one. No. <laughs> he makes a bad reference. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> it kind of assumes, oh, you've got to be like this person and the likelihood of yeah. that happening is really small. And it was kind of like, you know, I understand where you're concerned, but you've just like disregarded her whole dream in that yeah. moment. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And and he I guess because maybe because Beck is not super outwardly emotional in front of him, he maybe doesn't understand the repercussions of not believing in her or sort of assuming that she's going to fail. But, yeah, no, they're both very stubborn in their opinions in this particular scenario, and um, neither of them is really going to budge. And it, it sort of just takes him changing that offer and, and saying later on in the movie that you can stay here for one year, but I want to see you trying, and then I'll help you go to L.A. if you really, really, really don't want to be here. So he kind of softens up a little bit and understands that, okay, look, forcing her to be here for the entire time may not be the right move. I do want her to see what the potential is here and what she could miss out on if she doesn't stay, but... At the same time, he sort of, I don't know, it still is, it still is blackmail. <laughs> That's the other thing. It still is blackmail. Obviously, she did enjoy it by, her, by the end of her time and she chooses not to leave because she makes relationships. You know, she has a family here. She enjoys acapella at that point in time. She sort of found herself enjoying university, being willing to sort of push her dreams back a little bit of time to just sort of experience it. You know, unless he decided to cut the deal again altogether and said, no, you have to stay the entire time. Again, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, at this point in time, yeah, it's mostly just like, you know, she, she, they're both very stubborn. They don't want to give in. They're not going to budge an inch on what they believe is the right thing for Becca in this situation. And yeah, it's an interesting scenario that really you could look at multiple ways. He could just be entirely ignorant and assume she's going to fail, you know, and or he could just be being too protective. When she first started talking about LA, he might have done research on it and about the industry in general. He might have looked up and found stories about how women are treated or something like that. I don't know. He could have looked up multiple different things and just went, oh, God, I'm not letting her go there. Like, God, this is this, this looks like it's going to be the worst thing ever. Oh, I'm never going to get her back. It could, it again, it could just be multiple things. I overthink these things so much because there's so many possibilities. But yeah, that's just that's one of the things that yeah. That, I love it I though like, because then you can again, just see all these avenues that it could turn out. And I think it's interesting with this scene because you don't get a lot of emotion from Becca until that 
moment and she's just clearly so frustrated because she's had this conversation so many times and her dad still doesn't understand what she wants to do like it's almost like he hasn't been listening and and she's like no I don't want to be a DJ I want to be a music producer like listen to me like you're not listening (laughs) yeah um, exactly and I think fighting while Kimmy Jin is in the background (laughs) I was gonna say so like (laughs) he's just sitting there we haven't we haven't got to Kimmy Jin but I would be so embarrassed if my dad come in you then have an argument and your roommate is sat there the whole time I would like to point out it is really rude of Becca to assume that Kimmy Jin does not speak English just because she's not talking to her at the beginning that when I first saw that I was like are you kidding me Becca come on man she may just not want to speak to you. She has no idea who you are. Kimmy Jin's giving her nothing. But like, oh, it's just I know, like, but, but she's assuming. She's assuming and she shouldn't be assuming. Oh, God. I honestly, I, at that point in time, I mean, I know it's supposed to be funny. I know it's supposed to be funny. But at, I, I was kind of like, I, I don't think that you should ever just assume that she doesn't speak English. Honestly, Kimmy Jin just looks like she just wants to have her own single dorm. Like, that's, that's <laughs> it. That's that's all I see from that point. And to be honest, I would too. I would want my own single dorm, especially if I saw someone bringing in a bunch of music equipment. I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm never getting any sleep. I to do, be fair. Like, she clearly <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> Can we just, like, appreciate the difference in Kimmy Jin and Becca? Like, even throughout the movie, yeah. when you look at Kimmy Jin's side of the room, it is like minimalistic. It's like Maria Kondo came though. in and just, yeah. you know, organized it to a T. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's immaculate. And I, I, I envy that too, because my room is a mess. It is a gigantic pigsty at the moment. And uh, I wish that I had that level of organization because, again, I am one of the most disorganized people on the planet and I'm also incredibly lazy and even though I clean my room once a week it is still a mess by the end of that week and I don't know if that's because I know I'm going to clean it but I wish that I had Kimmy Jin's level of organization and cleanliness because I honestly I'm just such a mess and even Becca is cleaner than I am and she just has like shit all over her walls and just like all the all the vinyls and and all that kind of stuff later on there is just such a difference between their their sides of the room because Becca's looks darker when she has all the vinyls there Uh, I mean it is full of um, stuff I mean the Kimmy Jin has chock-a-block yeah like the difference is Kimmy has got no knickknacks, like nothing. If it's not useful, she doesn't have it there. I think apart from yeah. the little tree. I think that has. Um, doesn't that I have like. Um, I would like someone to tell me if they know what that is. Yeah. It's the, such a cool looking tree though. Like everything has a purpose. Like, you know, yeah. like, in my room, I've got like knickknacks everywhere and she has none of that. Like it's, it's just so. Yeah, minimalistic. Um, I have, I, I have rubbish <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I have a brand new box of toothpaste sitting right next to me. I have an empty water bottle. I have a PlayStation Five controller. I have just cords galore sitting everywhere. I have a keyboard leaning next to my desk. I have just 
everything everywhere. It's just and it's just insane. So I just I wish I was that minimalistic and I guess more adult. That's what I want to be. But they're doing so much better than I am. <laughs> so question: uh, Would you prefer to have a roommate like Kimmy Jin or Benji? Do you get the introduction to both of them when either Becca or Jesse walks into that room? I've got to say Kimmy Jin. I think I'd say Kimmy Jin. Really? Because I think she'd be a good influence. <laughs> yeah, I think she'd be a great influence on me. Um, and uh, I feel like I feel like Benji would try and be too friendly and there'd just be days where I'd be like, please leave me alone, get away from me. And then he'd look like a kicked puppy. That's and so true. I, I would feel so bad. Plus, you know, Kimmy Jin has like the Nintendo later on as well. So she's clearly into gaming at some point. So, although, I mean, we don't see this in this scene, but like if she was sat on my bed playing the Wii, I wouldn't be happy. Yeah. Like, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. True. But uh, again, sacrifices. You make sacrifices. I mean, I couldn't live with a roommate at all, I don't think. That is just not for me. Power to anyone who can because, you know, you save money, I guess, if you're, if you're having to pay for wherever you're living, like your dorm or whatever. But, yeah, I, I couldn't do it regardless. I think if you're willing to share stuff with your roommate and if Kimmy Jim was willing to share the Nintendo with me, then I think that we'd be the bestest of friends because I love gaming too <laughs> and not so much into schoolwork and I'm definitely not as clean so she might hate me as well but during the movie we see her and Becca sort of become a bit friendlier I think Becca just doesn't make the best first impression with her and I don't blame Kimmy Jim for that at all (laughs) I mean to be fair to Kimmy Jim she has perfected like just the death stare like the deadpan stare that she's able to give Becca on a number of occasions is just so good Seriously, the actress who plays her does such a good job of obviously what they wanted Kimmy Jin to portray in that particular part. But, yeah, I I, honestly, if I could do that, I would because I would have so many people ask me less questions at work and (laughs) that would give me time to do my own work better. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, I think she does such a – I think she does an amazing job of of doing the uh, the the get away from me look, or the why are you asking me questions look. I think it's amazing. It I think so kids. I think Anna Kendrick should be jealous because <laughs> like Becca tries it, but I think Kimmy Jin is just a skill. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we all know that Becca is is Becca. She's <laughs> she doesn't have um like Chloe's biceps. I, I don't think I'd be scared of Becca either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, I don't think I'd be scared of her at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I found it. She does have posters. Oh, she does. You see, she does it. have posters. Okay. Yeah. Yes, she does have posters in her room. She's got loads of stuff on her walls. Can we also like just point tons. out the fact that she has a keyboard? Like Becca has a keyboard in her room. Yeah. So I'm assuming yeah. she plays the keyboard. Um, she would have to play some sort of instrument. I mean, I obviously, know. you I, I, to plug in with the computer and do some stuff with that, but that means you not you must have some basic chord knowledge or whatever to have it. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think that uh, music, uh, whether it be 
I think any kind of music, it's always it always gives you an upper hand to actually have like a um a, an instrumental background of some sort. Sort of helps you to understand, I guess, just music better in general. I know I used to play the guitar, and it sort of helps you understand just the the little intricacies within music and songs and. I think even mixing songs, understanding basses and and all, all that kind of stuff a bit better. I, I would be surprised if she did not play an instrument of some sort. And uh, keyboard probably kind of fits because we don't see her with anything else, well, like nothing at all. We don't see her trying to play guitar. Yeah, yeah. A keyboard would work because if you can plug it in and to your production software, you could do a number of instruments. Yeah, exactly. To, to yeah. channel in and create stuff. And so, yeah, I could see that being the most practical way to go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and also in PP2, we see her using the keyboard software mm. as well. I have no idea what that's called because I don't have an Apple. But yeah, when she's trying to come up with the um, original stuff for her boss after he tells her that it's just another bunch of mashups. She's sitting on her MacBook playing the keyboard on the screen as well. So it's, I've always assumed she's played piano of some sort, I think. <laughs> so, what about Benji and Jazzy? Because we get the whole little bit with them. And I, I must admit, Benji's decoration of his room, I don't know who gave him permission to decorate it all black, but fair play to the guy for achieving all that on this first day at moving into uh, Barton. Yeah, it seems like he's put a lot of effort in a very short amount of time. He may have got there when they were first allowed to get in there and maybe Jesse's come like later in the afternoon. I don't know, but he has spent an enormous amount of time setting up the room to look like that and then also putting on his magician costume on top of that. (laughs) Can Um, you imagine walking in and... That you got like a Star Wars diorama with this guy in a cape. Yeah. Um, look, he's obviously passionate. Um, and you can't fault him for that. He's a gigantic nerd and he is okay with that. And then when you, you hear him talking, he's just like the loveliest guy ever. It doesn't seem like there'd be like any kind of crappy bone in his body. He is just super nice the entire time. And almost and kind of unaware he's of so how earnest. nerdy he is. <laughs> like, he's so earnest with just yeah, like, he everything is, yeah. he does. It's such a good introduction to Benji because of how that room is decorated. That's <laughs> just like without words, you already know exactly kind of what stereotype they're giving Benji at that point in time. Can we just take a moment to just appreciate the fact that he had a hamster or- up his sleeve for a few days before he, he did the magic oh, trick. Like, <laughs> dedication. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what Jesse says. E- even when he walks into the room, the fact that he doesn't immediately walk out again, I can't remember if he makes fun of him. If he does, oh, he's, yeah, that's right. He says, oh, and you must be kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does make Benji question it a little bit, but I think Benji just sort of takes it, you know, with a grain of salt. I don't know, it doesn't seem like Benji really understands when people are sort of making fun of him. Jesse kind of makes fun of him a little bit at this point in time. Obviously, they become friends anyway, but the fact that he didn't walk out straight away is is amazing because 
I think that would be a bit much to walk into the room and see the room looking like that straight away when all you'd assume is you'd walk into a room and see basically blank walls and nothing and maybe a person with a bunch of luggage. But Benji is so unpacked. He's so ready for the day already. Like, it's it's insane. I know me personally, I think I would have my, my stuff in suitcases probably and eventually unpack. So... <laughs> I mean, you you yeah, do Benji's get this whole sense it. of excitement with Benji. Like he's excited oh, yeah. to be there. Like, and then you get that a little bit more of the activities fair and the fact that he wants to join the troubles. Like he knows all about it. He knows what he wants to do. And clearly, he had planned to impress his roommate with a magic trick. They don't always go yeah. to plan, but like he so wants to make a good impression and kind of like start this off on the best foot. He does. Benji's like the type of person that wish you kind of had aspects of his personality or his care factor because like he's not afraid to put himself out there and just do what he wants to do. And anybody who can do that is very, very lucky like to not be afraid to just be themselves, which look, Becca is to an extent, but at the same time, she is still very like held back and hidden. So she's not necessarily always just like herself because she obviously does put up a little bit of a front. She's very defensive. Like She's always kind of protecting herself. From other people, I think. Yeah, she's never vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, she she, she does not want to be vulnerable. And uh, Benji is almost entirely vulnerable. He's just so unashamed about himself. And that may be because he's maybe unaware of how other people think about him. Although considering how he gets treated by Bumper and stuff like that, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't bullied in high school. I think just just based on on how they portray him in the movie, I, I I would be surprised because he just seems like I don't know. Based on you know other movies and stuff that you see, he seems like the type of character where they would definitely have some sort of ass, just like <laughs> completely try and tear shreds off of Benji every day. So, but he's like at this point in time, he's in a new place, he's meeting new people, he seems like he's excited to be at university studying whatever he's going to study and he's you know he's already got that plan to join the troublemakers and and you know he he's sort of like got himself sorted right now he's he's got his plans he's he's happy to be there because he already knows what he's going to do he's obviously thought about it long and hard before he's actually got there yeah he's like the complete opposite to becca and Jesse just seems like he's just sort of like rolling through it. Like he's done, he doesn't look like he's done any research whatsoever. He's just like, whatever, I'll just, you know. I think he join comes up. across, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm going with the flow. Like he's clearly kind of somewhat excited to be there, but it's also yeah. this kind of like, I'm just going to embrace the experience. He doesn't really know what that entails. You know, clearly he didn't yeah. know about the troublemakers until we see him at activities fair and he learns about it from Benji. To be fair, I think, between the two of them, I think they're probably quite well matched as a, a roommate coupling. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm glad that sure. Benji ends they're... up with a roommate that kind of appreciates him and lets him be him. I, I like that, that Jesse fights for Benji in the end. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of the Jesse character. That's probably because I sort of have delved too much into the, the unspoken aspects of what's sort of left between um, Becca and Jesse and that kind of stuff. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Chloe because it's in my username um, on Tumblr. But yeah, like I'm not a huge fan of Jesse, but I can see 
that he obviously genuinely cares for Benji at the end of the movie because he obviously fights for him to get a lead in the in the song that they do at the end of the movie. It is nice that Benji has someone who's willing to sort of look out for him the way that he clearly looks out for other people because he obviously goes after Becca when she gets upset and, um, you know, helps him out later in the movie as well. It's nice that he's got someone willing to be friends with him and accept him for all, all of his weirdness and, you know, his, uh, his passions for, for, for magic and Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. It's super nice that they're, that they're, they're matched together in this storm. To kind of wrap it up, because we've gone for so many different things and we've gone quite deep in places as well. Yeah. Obviously, the big thing from this scene is we get to see Becca and her relationship with her dad and why she ends up at Barden. So the big question, I suppose, is do you think that Professor Mitchell was right to force Becca to go to Barden? I mean, obviously, we got another couple of movies out of it. So movie-wise, yes, I, I, I think it was okay Personally, no, I don't think he should have made her. She was obviously just a teenager. So it's a really loaded question. She was a teenager. She obviously didn't know a lot about the world. And as you get older, you definitely know the teenagers know nothing about the world. And I don't want to sound like an old person because I'm not 30 yet. Um, but <laughs> oh, Don't put um, me to shame. Like, <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think we should not listen to teenagers, but at the same time, they definitely do stupid things too. <laughs> like, as we all do when we're teenagers. I, I think, think that Becca uh... is so, she seems so certain. And as we see through the movies, the, 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 the music thing never dies. Like, she has known for a very, very long, long time that music is where she's headed. It's hard to say. Like, it obviously gave her the people that she's going to be friends with forever, as we see, because they are still together throughout all three movies. And as most of us love to say, obviously, Becca and Chloe belong together forever and ever and ever. It's a yes and no. Like, I think that she definitely learned by going to university. Maybe he didn't go the right way about it. That's maybe, like, maybe that's yeah, what I'll that's say. A point. I think I think that's an interesting thing yeah. because when I look at her experience and what she gained by the end, especially even in the first movie, until you look back and you see where you've come, that you kind of appreciate maybe what you got from that and being at Barden. But the kind of immediacy that she had, that she had to just go and go to LA. And like, it could have worked out and it could have been fine, but she gained so much from being there and maybe it wasn't academically. And those were things that she wasn't looking for. And I think that's one of the nice things about the story is is she was so focused over here, but actually the people that she met, the family that she got, that maybe it kind of implies that she didn't have before that. And also like the experience that she would have had being part of the Bellas and then becoming captain of the Bellas. And, you know, it seems to be when then she goes to Pitch Perfect 2 and goes through that internship, although she's on the bottom rung of the ladder, she seems more confident just because she's had the experience of being a captain and making music for an audience and who knows how musically being part of the birds would have honed her craft in yeah. some way. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's it, like you said, it's a really difficult one because like you can see all the things she gained, but at the same time, yeah, 
was it right to force her to go? But like, uh, it's so difficult because you're yeah. like, if she hadn't been forced, would she have gained it? I don't know. It's really difficult. I don't know. And, and the thing is, too, is, is would she have even made it if she went to L.A.? Because what she was looking for was she was looking for someone to discover her and she would have, and to be honest, that probably comes down to a lot of luck because like sending your music into production, like uh, producers or music studios or whatever, there's no guarantee that they're going to listen to them because they probably get sent thousands a day of people going, pick me, pick me, pick me, like I'm really good. Who's to say she would have made it at all if she went to LA? We have no idea how that would have gone. I mean, obviously, she's very passionate. She's very dedicated. But as we learn in PP2, she doesn't use her own voice. And until the producer tells her to, like, he's like, you just give me more mashups. You know, I want something new. I want something original. Use your own voice. And that's when she sort of goes, oh, shit, I haven't done that before. I, I, I'm sort of starting completely from scratch because I've never done anything like that. It sort of really hits her hard, like her, it gives her confidence, uh, like shatters it, I think, at that point. And if she was in LA without that Bella support system, I think that may have almost made her give up if she was in LA and someone said that to her. So I don't know. It's a very tough question. It's really interesting, think. like thinking about that, though, because, you know, it isn't until she has the ballads and he has that knockback and pitch perfect too. Like you said, she has the support system behind her, whether yeah. she wants to admit that it's there or she wants to use it for a while. And of course, like we don't know what she's done with her music before this moment. Did she have it on YouTube? Did, you know, people put mashups on YouTube? Do they try and create a following? Has she been DJing? Has she done any gigs? Like we get yeah. the impression that maybe she hasn't. And so the ballads do give her potentially over the years that she is there this opportunity to actually see her music being used and people hearing it like Jessie for all we know could be one of the first people that she actually showed music to in the movie. Who else is she shown it to? Um, Is she getting that feedback and the constructive criticism that you need? Is she being able to see what her music's like to an audience, you know? the ballads provide her with an opportunity to have a challenge and make mixes and make these things for a performance that it does seem that she seems to be able to read crowds pretty well. And so like when she does then go to the internship, she's got all this behind her. She's had some real life experience in some sense to then kind of go over here that you would not have had any of that. Yeah. Going straight over. And it's not to say that the other route was a bad route. It would just be a very different route. And like, I think just from a character development as well, she's so closed off at the beginning of Pitch Perfect 1. You know, she doesn't really like interacting with anybody. Can you imagine going to LA like that? She probably wouldn't have, out of choice, wanted to make any connections like that, which then would have made her very alone in this environment. And it's not until like the Bella's kind of are forced to some extent upon her that by the end of the movie, she sees the worth in having that. But it is like, a oh, wow, like what was right, what was not Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's there is some, like I said, I could overthink this forever. And with how they don't answer questions and there's so many like what-if scenarios, 
you could go back and, and, and everything could change. Like if Becca never went to university, there's a high likelihood she never would have met any of those girls. And, you know, even if she did meet one of them singularly outside of it, there is no way that she would have been friends with that person most likely. Um, I mean, obviously the, the one that we always say is the one that's sort of like destined to find her in any sort of scenario is obviously Chloe. But, you know, if, if this movie went a completely different way, who's to say that that would have ever happened? And I think her going to university obviously taught her a lot and helped her grow a little. And it wasn't necessarily the university part that made her grow. It was obviously like having friends, having a family, having something that they all bonded over and dealing with the shit that they give each other every day, the fights between them, because I have no doubt that the Bellas had many, many fights over the years, and living especially the when they started all living in that house together, yeah, together, because that is a lot of people in one house. I did and seven. Even I having Fat Amy seven. there. <laughs> yeah. Fat Amy's yeah, your roommate. I mean, and- <laughs> yeah, like that is, that is a lot to deal with, and, you know, because Fat Amy does not, do anything for anyone else she is a a one-person machine she just only really thinks about herself for the most part does what does whatever the hell fat amy wants to do it's an interesting dynamic that they all have and i think uh becca really really does need them you know and obviously she does a lot of the work herself in terms of like the actual music making and all that kind of stuff but never underestimate the power of a good support system and in building up up your confidence and and giving you you know feedback or um you know anything like that like it's really important and i think she's definitely tried to avoid that for so long that when she finally has it i don't think she knows how to function without it after that yeah i think that's a good place to end it thank you so (laughs) so much we have gone for like two hours on a four Uh, five minute scene that's impressive I know it's it's just I told you there's so much that you could think about if you want to really delve in this is what my one note is filled with just ideas and just like things that I think about oh god there's so many of them can I just say that I am just astonished at like the amount of avenues that your brain can think of just like it's almost like <laughs> thick ideas or scenarios that like this thing happens, but then there's like a plethora of yeah. plot lines or storylines that you can pick out. Yeah, it's, I don't know why I think that way, but it's, I think anyone who who tends to write a fic, because like a lot of like my gift sets and stuff that I create, they're always like, you know, I'll see one funny line written and then I'll go, that's it. I'm making a fic or a GIF or something created from that specific thing and it'll just delve out into this big thing where I'll just go, okay, right, now I've just done this. So a lot of my creativity is just spawned from seeing one particular thing and then I just go, okay, well, there's all these avenues I could go down and I'm just going to pick this one and then I might use that one later and then I'll use that one later. Like (laughs) it's just (laughs) one, one little thing can just spawn like so much other, I guess, thought processes and it. Yeah, I, I could talk about all of them forever, obviously, as we have with this five-minute scene that we've just done. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for, like, coming on the podcast and, like, talking about this scene. It's been fantastic. That's all good. If anybody wanted to check out any of your stuff, where can they do that? 
Okay, so if you go to Tumblr and look up beyond hyphen Bacloe, that's me. And then if you go to, I don't really post to fanfiction.net anymore because it's too much effort to edit things on there. Um, so I normally just post to AO3 and it's it's Aka Blow Me and it's either hyphens or underscores. I don't know which one. It's one of them. There's a link to it on my Tumblr, whatever. It's there somewhere. <laughs> you can find it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you yeah, so, so much. It. It's been you can a, send me an ask. Really oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I also decided to ask what you guys thought on social media around the topic of Becca and her dad with Barden. And it was really interesting to see what you guys thought as well. It was so intriguing. So starting off, I put a poll up on Twitter asking you was becca's dad right to make her go to barden interesting because it kept flip-flopping between the yes and the no and the final result was 64 percent said yes he was right to make her go to barden and 36 percent said no so like i'm intrigued and i also put this up on tumblr and got so many good responses like People really thought about this. I think because it's not like a black and white situation. So like getting everybody's perspectives from their own backgrounds and what they had experienced was really intriguing about this kind of question. I can't read all the comments out because there were quite a few and some of them are quite long. So if you want to check them out, they are all on my Tumblr. But just to give you some of the comments, Josie1986 said, was it right for him to force her to do something she didn't want? No, not really. Did it work out in the end? Yes, very much so. Also, Anonymous on Tumblr said, depends on what the deal actually was. If he threatened her with disownment or something, then no, not cool. If he offered an incentive, then yes, that's fine. She was 18, she could have said no, which is very true. Someone done hiding said, no, he wasn't. Everyone needs to make the important decisions in life for themselves without being forced. Making mistakes and doing things right are one of the most important things in life so you can learn about them. And yeah, in the movie, it all turned out great. But if it didn't, if something really bad had happened, Becca would have blamed her father for the rest of their lives. Their relationship would never have been repaired. Please act surprised, said. I believe it was very fair, assuming there wouldn't be a negative consequence if she had said no. But a parent wanting a kid interested in the arts to have a backup plan makes sense. It is like teaching a kid who wants to be a professional ball player that they need a backup plan. They definitely do. The fact he is trying to persuade her to get a higher education, a free college education to boot, makes sense. Then the deal is made when he sees she is miserable. Just try for a year and if you still hate it, I'll pay for you to do what you want. Seems fair to me. Which is so true. Like there's so many different perspectives, so many things that could have played out. And I'm too snow for this said, oh boy, I do have an opinion on this. If anybody cares about it. As much as I agree with the point that parents shouldn't force their kids to do something they really don't want to do. I also personally would have loved my parents to be more involved in my path growing up. My parents had such a lackadaisical view on what I did throughout my growing years. It led me to letting go of my potential and hopes for my future. 
my father who bounced when I was two years old to pursue his own dreams and go to college encouraged me not to attend college and at the time I was totes cool with that but now that I'm old and wise laughing face I wish I would have had that chance Becca was given an opportunity not many people have and he offered to help her move to LA and all of that if she ended up hating said opportunity when you're 18 you don't always know what's best for you and I think that's definitely portrayed in Becca's journey not meaning to side with Becca's dad at all lots of messed up things happening there but I think he was at least trying to help her out in a way that he knew how so many interesting views to be fair like when I was 18 I had no idea what I was doing I don't know how I would have gotten on with something like that maybe Becca did I don't know it's just it's so interesting and thank you to everybody who shared their points of view or their thoughts on it it's lovely to hear from all different perspectives and just kind of hear from what you saw in that from your own experiences this week on our fan fiction highlights we have got a tennis au which i was pleasantly surprised by we've also got some mitson but we're going to start off with a very intriguing story called scared new beginnings by iphone on ao3 the summary says when becca and jesse get married the second last thing anyone expects is for them to separate soon after the actual last thing anybody expects is for Becca to move in with Chloe, set after Pitch Perfect 2. Now, when I saw this, I was so intrigued just for the fact that it doesn't give a lot away in the summary of what this fic's going to be about. There's so many questions, especially because you know that obviously some bad things have happened or some not great things in especially Becca's life she's clearly got married and it's not worked out I mean it's great that she's moved in with Chloe and so you don't know how it's got to that point you don't know where the characters are at how they're feeling and like why what broke down the marriage and it also alludes to this whole idea that people have opinions on on what should have happened and and everything and so it's so intriguing to then delve into the story i think what's also really interesting is is a lot about becca in the summary and then when you delve into the story it is immediately focused on chloe the whole beginning and throughout the story you get different perspectives whether it's becca's perspective or chloe's perspective there's just a lot going on there's a lot to take on board and I think what also is really intriguing with this story is it's a mixture of things happening in a moment, but also connected with flashbacks. And so you get a character's perspective in a moment and you can better understand where they're at because of these connecting flashbacks. And it feels like this whole big universe with connecting moments and situations that have all happened pretty much after Barden and there's maybe one or two that kind of link it in with their college experience and Pitch Perfect too. It just weaves this whole deep story 
that connects it with the movies and even points where it goes right back to Chloe meeting Becca at the activities fair and like from the very beginning to the moment that you're reading that everything's kind of interconnected and like the regrets or those moments you can look back on and see how you're feeling but does it really change or affect how you act now and it's kind of like an interesting kind of introspective way of doing it it made me look back at moments and sort of oh man would I want to have that regret and that's like a real thing that you might look back in your life and regret moments that have happened I really loved how the author had really expressed how each character was feeling at certain moments and also built up how they got to the decisions that they got to or why they are the person they are and one of those I really enjoyed reading about was Chloe because often we don't get a lot of backstory with Chloe it's not in the movies and so creators are really open to the freedom of crafting Chloe's backstory of maybe why she's the way she is how she got through Barden and how she decides what she's going to do with her life after Barden you know it's not like Becca who's someone who you have a certain amount of backstory there you kind of understand and appreciate why she's the person she is and also she's very focused that you kind of know through the movies what career she's gone into and how that's kind of working out so it was really intriguing with Chloe especially because it wasn't necessarily the picture perfect happy background that maybe you would expect with Chloe not to say that it was really bad but I think just this recognition that life's a little bit messy and nothing is going to be picture perfect. Nothing's going to be that Hollywood movie-esque perspective that we often hear and we often read about and we often watch about. It was kind of comforting to just read something that felt very real and also just recognise the messiness of life. You know, these are characters leaving college trying to figure out what to do with themselves trying to make the best of these situations sometimes maybe not making the best of the situation because they're thinking of others or you know there's a lot of like not right or wrong reasons why things happen and it all starts off at Becca's wedding which I I think is interesting knowing from the summary that it's not going to work out but starting at the wedding you just kind of felt bad in so many ways I, I found myself feeling so sad partly because you're reading it from Chloe's perspective and this character who clearly as you read through is in love with Becca Mitchell and is her best friend and she never said anything so she's having to witness her get married and the jaw pains of wanting your best friend to have the best day ever and wishing them the best but also painfully dying inside because it means that you will never have the happiness that you're hoping or you're seeking for it's so painful to like read it and just you feel so sorry for Chloe it's just so sad and at the same time you're reading this and you know Chloe's kind of seeing Becca being kind of happy on her wedding day and this moment that's supposed to be such an amazing moment of her life knowing that it's not going to work out, that you know this is going to crumble at some point. You just have to kind of go along for the ride. It's so clever, like, how it's all built up and interwoven. 
you get like little inklings from Becca in the first chapter, but like this is really from Chloe's perspective, and you get a real build up of to where Chloe's at, and later on in the story you get like some background to Chloe and and all that stuff, and then you get to read from Becca's perspective as well about her relationship with Jesse and how that all builds up and breaks down and it's kind of interesting because you get a lot of these moments during the story or I found that you would read things where they're kind of left with a choice and it's an interesting because it's not necessarily like the right or wrong choice and I think it asks a lot of questions that introspectively just make you think like if this was me in this situation how would I act if if your marriage really wasn't working out who's going to be the one to call it like all these things and there's no like right or wrong in the situation but like recognizing you know somebody had to make that call somebody had to decide you know what I can't do this anymore or whatever it is and even before that there was this moment where Becca's about to go and see Chloe and and go on a plane and then she has this interacting with Jesse and you get to see kind of how Becca's thought process and feelings are at and it really kind of throws you just for the fact that she's kind of torn between wanting to be the bigger person or to work things out not give it her all like wanting to feel like she's done everything she's trying to be the dutiful girlfriend that that should be a priority against but I'm feeling more towards this other person and should that be right and like suppressing those thoughts and those feelings and it just kind of makes you question a lot of how you react to things or just recognizing that like things are never quite perfect you know it just it was all these thoughts and it was just like so interesting and that continues to build up as things happen in the story and that escalates to what happens later on and and that kind of throws a curveball in there and again makes characters question and assess how they're going to act and then a big factor of that whole thing is like are you going to continue down a line or are you going to regret what you do with your life it's so interesting it just makes you think it makes you think so much man this was like a deep one this is such a deep one it's got like a good amount of angst in there some drama like mutual pining i love it so good and I think it's interesting because coming from especially Becca's perspective of this failed relationship, this failed marriage, trying to reconcile this idea that is it okay to to want this with this other person that's been there the whole time? They have seen you through the good and the bad and everything happening as well that's going on. It just like... It's a whole lot bundled into a short story. It's just five chapters. So, like, there's a good, like, amount to get through. If you're looking for something deep, this one will take you there. The next story that I enjoyed reading this past week is called Work Wife and Work Life by Justin the Tone Death Sidekick on AO3. The summary says, Becca and Aubrey navigate the struggles of marriage as each of them climb up higher and higher in their careers. So this is a Mitchison one-shot, available on AO3. What I liked about this story was it was an established Mitson. So we've got Becker and Aubrey as a married couple. And I think that's one thing that I find interesting with Becker and Aubrey is they're both very driven individuals. Becker with her music career. And in this story, Aubrey's working in law 
I think it's interesting with that type of dynamic where they're both so driven how that would work as a relationship. And in this story, clearly they're married. So they've made things work so far. And the story starts out with Becca trying to make it home. She's supposed to be helping and being there for Aubrey because Aubrey has this big work event going on. And you get this kind of introduction to Becca where clearly she's got a certain amount of reputation. She seems fairly famous trying to make it home why on earth she chose to take the subway home i will never know like surely not the best idea when people can recognize you on the street but she's trying okay she's really trying (laughs) and even at that point in time of the story as you kind of get becca's struggles you recognize the stress or you feel the stress from becca and clearly she's working extremely hard But she's also very aware of the fact that she's kind of messing up and she was supposed to be back and she's trying. It just kind of alludes to the fact that clearly not everything is going great. They're both working so hard, but that seems to be affecting their marriage. And especially from Becca's point of view, I don't think she appreciates at the beginning of the story how that lack of balance is affecting their marriage. And so you get this kind of whole play out as Becca eventually makes it to Aubrey and everything that's happening. That This has been building up for a while, these struggles. But also there's like one line in the story which just catches Becca and it just hits her square on. And it's just this realisation of like, you know what, I'm not doing right by my wife. And I love that just for the fact that it shows, although they're both really driven... And clearly, you know, they're trying to do the best in their careers that their relationship is still their highest priority. Their care for each other is still their highest priority. And you kind of get them both having to make questions as to how that works for them and and assessing what they can do to make sure that they repair the damage that has been done. Even though that you knew that there was maybe a little bit of a problem not letting it escalate and actually taking some responsibility for changing those choices that you've made. And and a big one of those is just this whole idea that she's not there for Aubrey, that she's not able to be the person that Aubrey can rely on anymore. And that kind of just causes like a real heartache for Becca, just this realisation the person you love can no longer rely on you. Throughout the story, you get this whole realisation from both characters and it plays out quite a, a lot in the story that there's a lot that maybe they need to look at or they need to assess or build on that they haven't been looking at. And I kind of liked the fact that it was very real, that life sometimes takes over and you go on autopilot, how sometimes you have to take a step back and look at your relationship or look at what's important and how you can make those changes and I really liked how the way in which it was dealt with all these difficulties going on that they both seemed quite mature and sensitive to the other person like it could have blown up into this huge fight and you kind of almost expect that going into the story because Becca and Aubrey are very good at you know having the good fight I mean it's all there you've seen it happen on film but just how they interact as a couple and how they work through their difficulties and how both of them have something to offer in this relationship is not like one-sided. They both have stuff to think about and to navigate through this conversation. I really enjoyed it. It was really lovely to read and 
just a completely different way in which to tell a story like this that was just very pleasantly surprising. And our final story this week is called Game Set Match by Alice Case 923. Tennis AU, some of you have thought of at least once or the five times Chloe sat as chair umpire in Becker's matches and the one time that she didn't. This is a one-shot The Chloe story on AO3. If you're just looking for like a cute, fun little story, this is perfect. What I really love about it is Becca plays this like really passionate tennis player who sometimes just lets her annoyance known. She's kind of known for having little tantrums in tennis during the match. And I loved that whole idea. She'd be one of those types of tennis players. Like I quite enjoy watching tennis. And so the whole addition of having tennis and the way they describe it really well as to really getting into the world of tennis that Becca's this like feisty person who like will hit her racket on the ground or like have a go at the umpire (laughs) it's just a lot of fun and it was it was a side of Becca I wasn't quite ready for expecting but I thought we saw it so well in this story so you get this like feisty Becca tennis player And then Chloe is this chair umpire who has been working quite hard in her field and has built up a good reputation as to what she does at work and has done well enough to obviously chair on the on the tennis circuit. So, of course, she inevitably ends up on some of Becca's matches and how that's how they meet each other. That's how they kind of have their meet cute is through Chloe being a chair umpire and Becca being this feisty tennis player. And it's quite a bit of fun as well, just for the fact that a lot of times with some of these interactions, it's broken up into these little times that Chloe sits in as a chair umpire. Inevitably, Becca just kind of loses her cool or whatever. And so you get these moments where Becca's literally just going to lose it. She's shouting at people or she's shouting at Chloe or questioning things. And you get this kind of inner monologue from... Chloe of like okay I've got to like calm this person down and Chloe seems to have this ability to calm Becca down on the court she's just very good at just eluding this calm and she knows what's going on and and I found that like a lot of fun the fact that Becca and Chloe's interactions especially when they first meet are in this very controlled work environment and clearly like you know these tennis matches are shown they've got an audience like, what else are you going to do? And it's all in the game. So it's not like, you know, you, you're openly flirting or anything. This is just work, in a sense. This is just the match. That's how they kind of first meet. And then that kind of rolls out the story. And then you start getting other chunks of the story as it goes along. They know each other from work and they've seen each other. And then it just starts to creep in that maybe they meet once outside of that and it's like oh I know you like we've never really spoken outside of uh, of the court but I'm the one who shouted at you for a while like it just all builds up from there and it's this fun kind of will they won't they because you know it's a Chloe story you're kind of waiting for the Chloe aspect to come out but you're not sure how it's going to because it's all centered around tennis and around these matches 
And there's just these fun little interactions that they have. And for all of Becca's assertiveness on the court and her passion, how different she could be off court and maybe just a little bit more unsure. She's quite fine during a tennis match to go up to the umpire chair and to give her peace of mind. But off the court, it's a totally different ball game. You get all these fun little like moments that you're treated to off the court as well with them just kind of building up. And I did enjoy as well, just there was one match that I loved, which was with Commissaire. And I loved how they threw this character in that was from the Pitch Perfect world, but also was one that you could really play with, with Becker on a tennis match. I mean, it was just such a good idea. It was, it worked so well. And like Chloe's confidence just carries wherever she is. She just, whether it's on the court or off the court, she just seems to have this collected together confidence. Whether she feels that, I don't know. But she's very good at like just projecting that wherever she seems to be. I loved it. So much fun. Those are our fan fictions for this week. Of course, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, we are on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we have set up a Ko-Fi that you can send your support to the podcast as well at Pitch Slapped. Thank you so much for listening. And for all of you who gave in your opinions around uh, Becca and her dad, it was so interesting reading them and just had a lot of fun with that. And I'll see you next time, Pitches. <laughs>